The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. It's nice to be back. I was out in Massachusetts teaching for teaching a nine-day retreat with a couple of my teaching colleagues, Kamala Masters and Deborah Ratner from Washington, D.C., Kamala's from Hawaii, but has been teaching all around, including in Minnesota, for many, many years. And um, yeah, one of the things we really emphasized at this retreat that I just taught was this experience of embodiment, and that's what we've been looking at. Some of you are actually following along in Ajahn Sushito's book, this British Buddhist monk. You can, I printed up or gave printed up some little slips of paper on the table in the lobby. And it has the website where you can download a digital version of the book for free. And uh, that's in case you'd like to read along. Don't feel like you have to. But it's a really good book. And Ajahn Sushito, also just in the way that he teaches awareness practice, emphasizes this experience of embodiment. And not just in the formal sitting, but the idea is it really supports the continuity of awareness throughout the whole day. If we train this part of the mind we call awareness or attention, if we train that part of the mind to be to be able to remember, it's like this now. In the experience of the body, it's like this. So mindfulness means remembering to recognize the present moment. So in terms of embodiment or the experience of the body, we're remembering, the mind is getting trained to remember to recognize, oh, the body's like this now. We're remembering to recognize how it is. Because right? I'm sure you notice, like if we think back on today, how many moments today did the mind remember to recognize that the experience of embodiment, the experience of sitting, the experience of standing, the experience of reaching, the experience of lying down, the experience of walking or whatever, Oh, it's like this. It actually, the experience of sensation is like this. Not what mental image do I have of the body or what idea I have of the body, but the direct and immediate experience of sensation. And the reason that we did, you know, emphasized it on the retreat and that in general it's really encouraged in Buddhist practice to use this training. Right? And this is the mindfulness of the breath is really right here with this training. It's just giving the mind that knows the quality of attention, this mental quality of paying attention, giving it something more specific, like one particular aspect of the experience of embodiment. But it's interesting. The awareness, this capacity to be aware, to be reflectively aware, like if I'm now or if you're now willing to just tune in to the sensations of sitting and cultivate a continuity of awareness, so not just a moment of connecting with the experience of sitting, but sustaining that awareness. You know, as you as your awareness in a sense settles into that experience and continues to be aware of that experience, do you see how there's a choice? Like, you don't need to focus on that 
experience of sensation to the exclusion of hearing my voice or seeing the visual field that you're seeing right now. There's a way to settle into the experience of embodiment, to be close or intimate with the experience of embodiment in a way that actually supports the awareness of seeing, the awareness of hearing, the awareness of whatever your mind is comprehending about what you're hearing. And we often talk about mindfulness has this quality of breath to it. It doesn't mean at times that the attention doesn't get into a very specific, subtle experience. You know, like sometimes when we're listening to a sound late at night, maybe there's a little scratching and we're wondering if there's a mouse in the house. And you can, the quality, this quality of awareness, mindful awareness, it can really tune in just to that scratching sound and you're sort of, the mind is listening, it's trying to figure out what it is. And the mind can be so attentive to that that it can, for a while, be unaware of what else is happening. But we're cultivating, generally speaking, we're cultivating an awareness that doesn't separate itself out or doesn't create boundaries or doesn't even like, um, yeah, divide up the experience into like what I should be paying attention to and therefore what's not important in the moment. So that's why we use words like being undefended and trusting and, and really meeting the moment, the awareness meeting the moment without the habit of framing the experience in a particular way. So sometimes I'll say, another teacher say, look, what is the experience of body, of sensation, not mediated by your thoughts about the body. So I want to talk about this experience of embodiment, and I'd like to talk about, in particular, the experience of painful sensations in the body tonight in terms of all four postures, so that it's all day long, right? the awareness of the body. So the posture of sitting, posture of standing, the posture or activity of walking, or any kind of movement, and then the posture of lying down. And what is the experience of pain, physical pain? And what is that experience when we have a thought or an idea or an opinion about the pain? And what is the experience of physical pain, unpleasantness, when there is this, the mind is dominated by the experience of an awareness, a non-judging, intimate awareness? of what is unpleasant. What is unpleasantness without your thoughts about unpleasantness? What is the experience, just in terms of sensation? And you can, you, all week long, you can do things, like you can sharpen your nails and then pinch yourself. So it's clearly like from an ordinary, conventional point of view, oh yeah, that's pain, that's unpleasant, you know. And then, but not too unpleasant, that you can't experiment with it. And then like, well, what is that experience of unpleasantness without thoughts, without thinking about it? Like, why am I doing this? (laughs) What's the point? But just relaxing, you know, sometimes we say relaxing into the experience. Another great place to do this 
is when it's hot and sticky and you walk outside and maybe you're not dressed for it. You've got a, you know, warm clothes because you're in an air-conditioned building most of the day and there you are having to spend some time outside and you go, oh, this is unpleasant. This is an unpleasant experience of embodiment. What is this experience without the experience mediated by my thoughts about it. What is it actually in a direct, immediate way to be experienced what we call with language hot, heat, or stickiness, or whatever, you know, however we might describe that. It's really humid. It's unbearable. You know, we go very quickly when we're in dialogue with ourselves about what's happening, we very quickly get into abstracted things like it shouldn't be this way. Right? So we're very removed from the actual experience of warmth or the actual experience of, you know, what is that experience of being in a lot of humidity? Well, like I can feel it, you know, where my shirt's too low, like when my skin touches my skin, we say it's sticky because it is. It's like I didn't put baby powder there. So it's, you know, it's sticky. That's how it feels. Or the clothes feel, there's a kind of a clingy feel to it or a dampness because the perspiration isn't immediately evaporating as it does when we're, when we're in dry weather. So those are actual sensations when we really connect to the dampness of the skin or the stickiness of the skin or the warmth of the skin or the feeling of the clothes touching the skin. And then to be intimate, to be undefended, to not be resisting, mentally resisting, the sensations, what's that experience? Or being too cold, what's that experience? Or aches and pains or clothes being too tight around the waist or you know some of the ordinary physical unpleasantness. Now, some of you might have more chronic pain. And then what's that? Or some of you are older and experience the ordinary aches and pains unavoidable aches and pains that comes with aging. And so this can be part of our education, right? Because it's easy to think that, you know, as we hear instructions about being aware of the whole body, that somehow it's going to save us. But what it saves us from, not from a body that has its ordinary aches and pains, its ordinary experience of people having the air conditioning on too high or it's too hot, too sticky or, you know. But it transforms, it, it like the practice will help the mind let the experience of embodiment just be what it is. So in Buddhist, in Buddhist practice or from the point of view of the Buddha, he talks a bit about this as not shooting the second arrow. And this is really relevant in terms in this part of our life that's all about painful sensations or unpleasantness, both emotional and physical, the inevitable unpleasantness that comes in life. In the tradition, it's called dukkha dukkha. So dukkha just means the unsatisfactoriness, the limitations of sense experience. And the, the term dukkha dukkha means that which is unpleasant that has to do or that which is unsatisfactory, 
that has to do with just the ordinary experience of pain, physical, emotional, mental pain, like the experience of loss. Is all, that, that would be mental pain or emotional pain. It's natural, right? It's not like when you're an enlightened being, a fully awake being, and your best buddy or your kitty cat or your dog dies, that there's no pain of loss. What it means is the natural and unavoidable pain of loss, just like the natural and unavoidable pain of stubbing your toe or banging your head on the cabinet that somebody left open or something like that, that that pain arises, but the mind doesn't add anything to the pain of loss or to the pain of banging your head because it has another... (coughs) It has another way of relating to physical and emotional pain other than resisting it. Okay, here's your quiz. What is that other way of relating to mental and emotional pain rather than resisting it? What is the other way, just in simple terms? Anyone want to stick their neck out? (laughs) I would call that mental resistance, right? Getting angry at it, blaming somebody thinking the world's out to get you. Yeah, so what is that experience of accepting? And maybe people want to put it in different words. You you know, there are ways to talk about it. Um, Because depending on, I mean, I think you're, I understand your point, I think you're right. But we can tell ourselves that you should accept this pain. You know, you should be accepting of this pain. I should be accepting this pain. Hmm? Yeah. So in order to explore physical pain, can you have the attitude like this this pain is bad? Right? Like what kind of attitude, what kind of idea about the pain invites an exploration, a willingness to be curious, to explore? First of all, if you think you already know what it is, without a doubt, you're arrogantly sure, you're not going to explore it, are you? Why? I know it's bad. Why would I explore it? So, exploring it means you don't know what it is. It means you know you don't know what it is. Now, think about the last time you were in some significant pain. Okay, Whatever it is nauseous, headache, banged your foot, toothache, depressed, hangover, you know, whatever it is, Um, confused about your relationship with somebody, feeling insulted, not feeling respected. And, And somebody, you know, would say one of these two things, well, you you know, try accepting it or Explore this pain. Generally, the person, what we need to help them, help ourselves and help others with is like, what understanding allows the mind to explore it, allows the mind to accept or let it be? What's the understanding that allows it? Yeah, but what what attitude allows the mind to embrace it? What? Hmm? That everything changes, right? So that, 
so it's changing. So there's something like uh, in Buddhism we talk about it uh, as an insight. The mind is seeing something it hasn't seen before. And one of those aspects is that it's changing. But another is that it's not personal. And another is that any fixed idea of what it is separates us from it. Like something that's very obvious for us is, oh, it's bad, I, it's bad because I have this pain in my knee, or it's bad because I'm feeling the sadness, or it's bad because it's been so sticky lately. And we don't necessarily notice, but that's a fixed idea, an unquestioned fixed idea. And whenever the mind is established in a fixed idea, we've just separated ourselves. So in this dualistic, like there's a me who knows what's true about this over here. Hmm? Yeah. Well, or it's not even so much, in a way, like it might subjectively feel that we not so much become the pain, but become sort of tied to it in a way. Like, it's out to get me, or I've got to control it, or I can't be with it. So the story, it's like we're tethered to it in this adversarial relationship, to we're tied to it in an adversarial relationship. But that may express itself as being in denial, like really getting busy at distraction. Like that's what we usually do when we're going to be sick for a while. We, In the old days, you'd have somebody pick you up a bunch of videos, you know, VCRs, if you don't, Remember what those are, <laughs> or CDs, DVDs, rather, or whatever it is. Now you just download the stuff, of course, but you'd be prepared. You know, you'd have your Netflix account, and you just like go into movie mode until you start feeling better. Okay, now I can re-enter the world. I can actually, I'm willing to be sensitive. I'm really willing to re-emerge as somebody who is aware of a body, because now I'm willing to feel it. But while I was really sick, I just didn't want to be there. So, to be able to explore, to be able to uh, embrace, to be able to accept, we need to step out of our fixed ideas. And this is the first step. Like when you look at the Buddha's discourse on mindfulness, the first step is, can we be aware of the body, the breath, or basically whatever you're being aware of, can we be aware of the present moment in and of itself, not in terms of our stories, not in terms of the world. Like the world says, pain is bad. But I'm not, I'm not going to meet what's showing up for me with my cultural imprint. I'm going to show up with what we call mindfulness. And mindfulness, what we mean by that is this capacity to know something directly not mediated by our ideas about it. So again, let's just do a little experience. Now, you don't have to pinch yourself, but just have some obvious touch, whatever it be. You can just sort of squeeze enough so it's a pretty obvious, concrete experience of sensation, or it could be your buttocks against the chair. Just tune in to that. Relax into the sensation. And, you know, we might call that, oh, yeah, touch. That's just touch. But you see, when you tune into the actual pressure of the touch or the actual warmth of the touch or whatever the 
particular characteristics of the sensations are now for you. You see that being aware moment by moment of these sensations, there's no need for language mediating the experience. You know, So whatever pressure is, whatever warmth is, whatever hardness or softness is, smoothness, roughness, whatever that is, to be clearly aware doesn't require you naming it with language, describing it with language, right? You can be, you can connect and sustain awareness without language. Is that true? Everybody get that? And you, do you notice how it's sort of a different world? And and I like this, uh, some teacher, I forget who, originally said this, but it's like the difference between eating a meal and looking at the meal on the menu. You know, like thinking about the experience of embodiment or telling myself what kind of pain I'm experiencing or having a mental image, like this is, this is really chronic in people who work with mindfulness of breathing, which a lot of us, it's a really important training. A lot of us use it as a regular meditation anchor because it's such a useful one. But if we're not careful, the mind will substitute, just because it's, it's, ha- it's the habit of the mind, the mind will substitute like a, an inner documentary of the breath, like a mental image, and even a very sometimes a abstract mental image of the breathing process. And so there you will be, there you'll be sitting, you know, looking quite serene, quite stable, but what you're doing in somewhat of a subtle way is you're thinking about the breathing process or imagining that little mental movie, imagining the breathing process, but not actually in that moment aware of the sensations of breathing in, aware, connecting, sustaining, sustaining awareness with the sensations of breathing out. Now, it's not that it's wrong to be aware of thought when there's thought, we should be. But the thing is, the mind's diluted. It thinks it's aware of sensation, but it's actually aware, it's actually paying attention to thought, but it's not comprehending clearly what the experience is. It's diluted. Right? So like, when I say, no, don't move, but if I say, uh, be aware of your left foot. Be aware of your left foot. You know, it's very common to imagine your left foot instead of feeling the touch points there on the left foot or feeling the warmth of the left foot or the vibration in the left foot. Or you just, you know, the mind uses is really dependent on the words left foot in order to sort of fulfill the task that Mark gave you. Be aware of your left foot. Because sometimes, like, when we're when you do that, and it's like, well, there's nothing really there. But that's, what's, that's the experience of your left foot right now. But maybe if you're willing to sustain that awareness of what initially feels quite ambiguous or empty of sensation, you might then begin to notice that, well, actually there's more there than I thought. It's like a naturalist. You know, they look out into the woods, a bunch of leaves and green, and it's just 
green. You know, there's nothing there. But, you know, you kind of, the naturalist or the person, they just sort of relax their gaze. They stop trying to see and they become more, the mind, more simple, more, hmm? Yeah, maybe that's a good phrase, beginner's mind, where you, because you're not, you're specifically not trying to see something. You're not, you're not distorting what's happening, the, the experience of seeing. You're not distorting it with the idea of what you should be seeing or what might be there. So the mind is in a more simple experience. It's more in the experience of knowing, seeing, as seeing. So this is like in terms of training in the experience of embodiment and then in particular in the experience of pain and also in particular in the experience of the four postures, standing, sitting, walking, lying down. Just see if you can get interested. Just in this first step, there's two more that I'll cover and then open it up for discussion. But just in this first step of learning to experience pain, generally speaking, the experience of embodiment, and then the four postures in and of itself, not mediated by language. Now, because it's such a habit for us to think about breathing in or to think about the experience of pain that we're experiencing in any moment or the little itch or whatever it is or the movement in the body, to think about what I'm doing. So as I reach for the light, I might be having the thought, hey, I'm reaching for the light. Now, we don't need that thought, but it's the habit of the mind to narrate our life to ourselves or to engage in a kind of ongoing inner dialogue. Now, you could create another inner dialogue about how you shouldn't be having an inner dialogue, but you don't have to do that. You can just realize the inner dialogue is one thing, but the actual experience of reaching, the sensations of reaching, the sensations of touching, as you shut off the light, those sensations, that experience of movement, it's its own thing. It's the what we call the experience of body or embodiment, sensation. It's the world of sensation. And to the degree you're seeing the hand, then that's the world of seeing. And to the degree you're thinking about reaching and thinking about the light switch, that's cognitive activity. That's thinking, mental activity being known. Right? So the six things you can know. You can know the cognitive activity. You can know seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. This is how we know the world. The only way we know the world. In fact, the whole world is known only these six ways. Now, mindfulness always gets associated, in terms of our practice, always associated with wisdom. Which means that it's not enough to be conscious. We can be conscious and quite diluted because, you know, in a sense, the mind is sensitive to these six things, but it's not comprehending accurately these six things in and of themselves. It's always, it's uh, comprehension, it's understanding is always based on the, uh, what, how the mind is mediating it with language. So even my thoughts, like I might be thinking about something, but I might have a story about what I'm thinking about. Like I might be planning a vacation, and then I have my rationale about why I'm taking the time to plan my vacation. Right? Or I might be feeling a moment of sensation, but then I'm immediately 
in my like why this is happening to me, why my stomach hurts, why I'm feeling this emotional pain, why I'm happy today. So instead of in the actual pleasantness of the emotion, I'm sort of thinking, I'm sort of working on my story, my narration about what's going on now for myself. So just as a basic training, because we don't really, we're not really in the experience of mindfulness until we start having little moments of things in and of themselves. And working on the level of sensation is one of the easiest ways to do it. And I mentioned, I think, two weeks ago when I brought this up, that this is one of the great trainings, reasons we have this training of sitting still. For some of you, it's just 10 minutes a day. Others, hopefully, can sit 45 minutes a day. You're fortunate you have that much time to put aside. You sit a little bit in the morning before you have to get up and do stuff, and then maybe a little bit in the evening before you go to bed. But it's a particular training. You sit on a chair. You sit on a meditation cushion. You cultivate a posture that supports alertness and relaxation. You have previously let everybody know to leave you alone for that period of time. And then you make the resolve, because you've set the appropriate length, that you're pretty clear you can sit still, you know, relatively speaking, for that length of time. And you build your confidence. So then maybe a couple months in, you can sit a little longer, because now you're pretty confident it won't kill you to sit relatively still for 20 minutes, and then 25 minutes, and then 45 minutes. And even if you can't do that every day, it's good over the long haul to lengthen your time, even if it's only a couple days a week where maybe you sit a little longer than what's really easy. Because you know, as you sit a little bit longer, you're going to feel more sensations like, I want to move my body because my buttocks hurts or my knee hurts or my back hurts or I'm restless or you know, I'm in emotional pain and I don't want to feel it. But because we've made the resolve, no, you know, I set my nice, beautiful Insight Meditation Timer app. Insight Meditation Timer app, right? You can get it. It's really great. It's for free. And then you set the time and you get a nice little gong, almost just like this one, at the beginning and end of your sit. They even give you five seconds once you push the button before it rings. And... Uh, and the other cool thing about that particular app is you can see everybody around the world who's practicing at the same time as you. You, know, you get little dots on the globe, the picture of the globe. So that's kind of nice. You realize you're not alone wherever you are, where, whenever it is. And then uh, you, you've set this time where I'm, I'm just going to be there in the stillness, the relative stillness, the relative relaxation. Eyes could be open, they can be closed. And then we might have a particular training like mindfulness of breathing is a good one or just use the whole body, right? Or hearing is a nice anchor for awareness, something to come back. But other distractions will arise. The attention will naturally go to those things that are strongly predominant. Then just notice, oh, this is what the mind is knowing, right? And the idea is to practice being mindful, which means seeing the experiences. There are always going to be one of these six things. Cognitive activity being known, sensation being known, hearing being known, and then, to some degree, seeing being known, smelling and tasting being known. Right? And the emphasis on it's something being known. It's just an experience of mind or body. Right? So the body means the five physical senses, 
It's some experience of the mind, cognitive activity, or body being known. So the emphasis is on it's just something being known. One of the six sense gates being known. Sensation being known. And then, can the mind, you can even ask yourself this question, can the mind be aware of the sensation of breathing in, for example, or the experience of hearing in and of itself? So we hear a sound of a truck or thunder, or you hear the, the blower of the furnace or the air conditioning, the ventilation system. So not mediated by language. So it's just the sound in and of itself. And so that's, and then it's easy for a moment, but can you sustain the awareness? So that's why we work with like the breath or hearing or the whole body, because we get better. And it initially all kinds of thoughts will intervene like, this is boring. Where does this go? You know, it's like sitting down and listening to the furnace, like, it just seems like ridiculous. But remember, it's not about the object of awareness, whether it's pain in the knee or the sound of the blower or just the general experience of the whole body sitting or the specific sensations of the breath touching the nostrils as it goes in or the feeling of the abdomen rising a little with the in-breath or coming down and in a little with the out-breath. It's not about the particular sensations. It's about the mind recognizing it's just either the body, bodily activity, or mental activity being known. It's just something being known. It's just something being known. It's just something being known. There's something about... There's like... uh, we talk about the whole path as being a path of insight. We're waking up. What are we waking up to? We're waking up to what the world, or what the mind rather hasn't seen before about the nature of the mind, the nature of experience. So this process of insight, this path of insight, this path of awakening. And but there's no path of awakening unless we've trained, unless we train the mind to step out of its stories about things. Like, how can I understand what this is when I'm constantly, arrogantly telling myself what this is? I can't. I'm just constantly falling back into my pre-existing ideas. And even if I say, wait, stop thinking about that, you know, have an open mind, we're still in the dialogue. And that, you know, there's, I'm not saying the dialogue is like the same thought over and over again. What I'm saying is there are real limitations to getting outside of the box when you're busy running around in the box. The the simile that's used in this is like we're in prison. We're in prison. We're in the prison of our thoughts about things. And people think that they're doing spiritual practice, but what they're really doing, they're in prison what they're doing is they're rearranging the furniture in their prison cell instead of realizing that there's a way out, like the door actually opens. You can step outside. And it's not like rearranging the furniture in our mind, thinking about things again, thinking about things from a different perspective. 
It's not that that's nothing, it's something. You know, when you're in prison, when you're living a limited life that is limited or uh, being limited by your thoughts about things, by your way of conceptualizing your experience, there are better ways to conceptualize your experience than other ways. But what really changes things is to realize that the conceptually conceptualizing process isn't you anyway. It's just the habit of the mind to think this or to think that. So when we do something like train ourselves to be aware of the body, to connect and sustain aware to connect and sustain awareness of sensation in and of itself, not mediated by our thoughts about the sensation or thoughts about the body, then we're learning how to be without the mind mediated, without the experience mediated by our thoughts about things. We're having moments of being in the world, being in the experience, but not caught or trapped by the limitations of our ideas about things. And this sets in motion the possibility of real insight. So I said there were three steps to this process. So in and of itself. And then once you're able to be in the experience of physical pain, bodily sensations, be aware of postures in and of themselves, then you can start to see that it has a feeling. Because this is the confusing part. Like when we're aware of the body, or use the example of listening to the sound of the blower, something really neutral. And you can kind of do it even while you're hearing me talk. It's like there's a, for most people, a neutral feeling tone. Like it's not unpleasant but it's not really pleasant, the sound of the blower, right? So the mind is strongly conditioned to react to that sound, but we don't think about it. What's the habitual reaction to something like the sound of the blower? Ignore it. Yeah. The habit is to ignore it because it's not pleasant and it's not unpleasant. So it doesn't matter. And that's part of what makes the prison, the prison, is that we instinctively, in a sense, or as a conditioned habit, think we should ignore experience that's neutral, like sensation that's neutral. But you see how that's separating. It's like we we get in a little, we become more the mind, the experience, the mind's experience becomes more dependent on its thoughts because it doesn't want to be intimate with what's neutral. Well, a lot of life is neutral. You know, walking from your car to the office is a relatively neutral experience. Brushing your teeth is a relatively neutral experience. I mean, but if we've created or cultivated a habit of thinking when it's neutral, I'm not going to be intimate. I'm not going to be present. You see, then what's our alternative to be lost in thought? Like if either we're going to be intimate in life as it's unfolding or we're going to be lost in thought. There's really, are there any other options? So even that habit. Now we also know that when it's unpleasant, there's also a very strong habit to push it away, or to want to pretend it's not there to go into denial. And when it's really pleasant, 
It's a strongly conditioned habit to imagine how we can hold on to it, make it last, and make it mine, and keep others from taking it from me. You see, so all three feelings that we have, neutral feeling, pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, conditions the mind to get lost in thought, to not be there, to not be intimate in and of itself. So to see how we tend to react, we have to sustain awareness. We have to first do the first step, see experience in and of itself, so physical discomfort in and of itself. What is the, like let's say after 10 minutes, it just starts to feel a little numb where your sits bone meets the chair cushion, you know, just sort of a dull ache. And you say, oh yeah, that's, you know, this is predominant, so I'm not going to be aware of the breath. I'm just going to allow this more dominant experience of throbbing, aching that I have in my left hip, left buttock. I'm going to let that, in a sense, be front and center. So even if you want to continue with the breath, it's like breathing in, feeling the sensations here in the left butt, side of the butt. Breathing out, just feeling, being intimate with the sensations in and of themselves, not in terms of the old poor me story, like why my butt hurts, you know, you know, why do they have such hard cushions or why, you know, are the chairs so uncomfortable or, you know, why am I getting old or, so not thinking about the throbbing, the aching, but just being intimate with it, not in terms of the story, but in terms of the actual experience of throbbing and then not even the throbbing so much, but the, uh, that it's unpleasant, right? So what can the mind connect and sustain And then we learn something. Remember, the whole point is having insight, seeing things we haven't seen before. And we realize that the problem with the throbbing isn't the throbbing. It isn't the aching. It isn't the heat that you feel or the dull, you know, whatever, pressure, hardness. The problem, what makes it unbearable is not even that it's unpleasant but that if there's no wisdom there, the mind reacts to the unpleasantness by mentally resisting it. That's what's unbearable, the mental resistance. And it's, it's really the height of irony because the, the mental resistance arises because we're trying to protect ourselves. I mean, it's really inefficient. It's really, in a sense, even insane But that's really what's happening. It's like even emotional pain. You insult me and it hurts. There's some emotional pain. And then my response, my reaction to the emotional pain is to construct a story why your opinion doesn't matter or you're just an idiot. Who cares what you think? And so I'm spinning. My my mind has to repeat that. And it has to defend the idea I have that your opinion doesn't matter. And all of that mental resistance, not wanting to feel the emotional pain that arose when that person insulted me, and just be intimate with it. I choose to do this, I don't like you, you're no good, you're bad, which is stressful, it hurts. So there's the ordinary, unavoidable pain of feeling insulted. And then there's this pain of mental resistance, mental reactivity, 
which turns out to be most of our suffering. Like some teachers say, you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So this is something we can learn this week and the weeks ahead, you know, as we go through Ajahn Sushito's book and look at meditation practice, especially from this point of view of embodiment. Remember, because the embodiment, the experience of embodiment teaches us a lot about the mind because it's the mind that knows the body. So in the example I just gave, we learn by observing the body, we learn over and over again how the mind is reacting to the experience of the body, how the mind is telling itself a story about the experience of the body, and how that storytelling, that reactivity, is stressful, and how it can be abandoned, and then the stress goes away, and how the story can be picked up, and the stress comes back, and back and forth, back and forth. In this little lesson, we learn tens of thousands of times that when the mind, when there's that mental resistance or mental reactivity, when the mind is telling in itself a story due to the feeling it's feeling, right? There's sensation, and then the mind interprets that sensation as pain or pleasure or neutral, right? And then based on the feeling, it either ignores it because it's just neutral or tries to get away from it because it's pain, painful, tries to hold on because it's pleasurable. And it uses a story that kind of engages in mental activity, mental proliferation, which keeps triggering the feeling. So there's this dance between the pain, the pleasure, and the story. And we tie ourselves up in a knot. We re-imprison the sense of self. We get trapped. We feel oppressed by the feeling that's arising from the experience of embodiment or the feeling that's arising from some mental activity. And we get trapped. And the way we step out of it is first, we observe the body in and of itself, sensation in and of itself. Then in that place of observing experience in and of itself, we notice that mental resistance hurts, that mental reactivity hurts. Acceptance doesn't hurt. Being curious doesn't hurt, as Jack said, or embracing it doesn't hurt. But reacting, building a story, building a dualistic story about me having an experience that I don't care about because it's neutral, or hate because it's painful, or want because it's pleasurable, that hurts. We see it all the time. But we don't see that unless we're in this place of things in and of themselves, being mindful of bodily experience, mental activity, not in terms of the story, but in terms of it as it is. Thoughts are just thoughts. Sensations are just sensations. Sounds are just sounds. Things in and of themselves with some continuity. And then when mental activity arises we see that it's stressful. But if I'm already caught up in mental resistance and then more mental resistance arises, I'm not going to catch it. Because from the place of being tied up in knots, we don't notice that we're tying ourselves up in knots. It's only from the place of being in the moment relatively in a relatively relaxed and intimate and non-conceptual way. Now remember, 
you can be aware of thoughts in a non-conceptual way. Oh, it's just thought. So you're not tied up with the content of the thought. You're just realizing it's just planning mind. It's just worrying. It's just judging. And you, you could be aware of the content, but you're choosing to notice that it's just thinking. It's just the activity of thinking. It's like, you know, people talking in a foreign language. I mean, you know that it means something, but you're not attending to the content of the thought, but that there is thought being known. Thought is happening. Just like I was, we did the experiment early in the evening, you know, where you can be aware of touch, not mediated by your interpretation of the touch. What's warmth without the idea of warmth? What's hardness or pressure without the idea of hardness or pressure? Right? Not mediated by language. So if we sustain there, and then all of a sudden I have a reaction like, this is boring, then I see that even something relatively neutral like the thought, well, this is boring. If there's a little mental, physical uh, tightness, like a little imp- a little prison just arises in that moment. Like the identification with the thought, well, this is boring. That's a limited reality for the mind in that moment. right? It's to the degree my mind's identified. But then in the next moment, there could be like literally not even a second later, wisdom could arise and go, oh, it's just a thought. You know, this is boring. That's just a thought. And then the prison evaporates. It's like you step outside. Because now we're back in the world of in and of itself. And then there's a little insight. Oh, yeah. That thought wasn't needed. That's a thought. And it didn't add anything. Right? And that's, the, that's what grows insight, grows understanding, is the mind's learning something. And we call this learning about the Four Noble Truths from a you know, Buddhist um, teaching model, we're understanding how it is that the mind gets tight and how it is the mind releases any kind of psychic tightness, any entanglements, any oppressive, burdensome um, patterns that we have in the body and mind. We learn a little bit about it each time we have that kind of an insight. So it'd be nice to hear from a couple people. We have time for maybe one or two comments. What you've been learning? Yeah. Trish has the mic. Anybody want to share something before we end tonight? Yeah, please. My question is, that makes sense to me. I've actually had the experience at a meditation retreat of pain, a really horrible evolving into sensation and feeling neutral. But that was like a peak moment. And on a regular basis, uh, when I experience pain, any sort of chronic or recurring pain or loss, um, it can be pretty over to face it directly. I've had the experience. I tried to go into the sensation, and it felt like too much. And I'm wondering uh, when it's like that, when it feels like every time you stick your hand out the window, you're actually going 400 miles an hour, and it can fly out the yeah, car. You yeah. know, like how do you mediate that process? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And uh, well, basically, the confidence that you have from having had that experience is really beautiful and wonderful. And, uh, but to want to go right back to it means that, that you need to distill what happened in that moment a little bit more because what the mind is missing is what were the supporting causes 
that allowed you to have that moment during a longer retreat where, where you, you were able to have enough confidence, enough stability of awareness to be with the sensations in and of themselves, not in terms of your story. This is bad, but just sensations, unpleasant sensations in and of themselves. What allowed that stability of mind to arise? Right? Because if you uh, deconstruct and you really see what the supporting causes are, then instead of trying to go right back to that experience, which is usually arising out of greed, wisdom says, I'm going to put my attention on the supporting causes that allowed that insight to happen. So if, you, if we want to get back to a place we were, even if it was just for one moment of our life, instead of wanting to get back to that place, what wisdom says is, I wonder how the mind got there to begin with. And then it does that. Because wanting to get back to a good place doesn't get us back. Getting back to the good place requires the wisdom that goes, whatever it was, it had causes. And if I reflect, I'll begin to unpack what were the supporting causes. Well, the awareness was stable. The mind was unafraid. The mind had confidence that paying attention in this balanced way was skillful. Even if the habit energy was screaming, this is too much, the wisdom in the mind didn't believe that story when you were doing that. Instead, it said, no, there's nothing dangerous about being aware of what's already here right now. Right? The, the painful sensations, they're already the way they are. So why would it be dangerous to be aware of it? But the habit energy is telling us, no, this is going to kill me. But sometimes the story the mind tells itself is not true. It's ignorant. Uh, right. Isn't that true? I mean, I've heard my mind say all kinds of things that are not true. I mean, just definitely not true. And sometimes what the mind says actually aligns with the truth. But not always. And so that's why sometimes, like, this is one of the great things about sitting, because as long as you're sitting in a way that you know you're not harming your body, it can feel really, really painful. But we know I'm not damaging my knee joint or, you know, I know enough about this that I'm going to be okay until that bell rings. So I don't care if my mind tells me I'm going to die. I'm not going to move. Right? Because I know this other way, which is to embrace, to be curious, to be mindful of the sensations in and of themselves. And to realize that, and this is, I don't know if you noticed this in your experience, but in just a moment, if you started to fall under the sway of the thoughts, this is too much. All of a sudden, it gets the the resistance and the enormity of like I got to get myself out of this. It's just huge. And then when wisdom kicks in again, no, no, it's just sensation being known. It's like that whole prison disappears, and it's like, I mean, it's intense, it's unpleasant, but it's okay to be. It's okay just to be here with it. Yeah, we learn a lot just in this cauldron, this frying pan of sitting still working with the breath as sensation, working with the whole body as sensation, working with sound, and working with other the other predominant experiences that come and go. So let's leave it here. Thanks for your comment. Take a few seconds, just let go of the words.
Thanks, everyone, for coming tonight. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.